Good morning, everyone. How is everyone today? Oh, good. I've got a cheering section in the back of the room. I'm so excited. <laughs> good morning and welcome to Boomerang. Welcome to those that have joined us via live stream. Uh, today, we're actually going to be moving into a new topic. So we were working on forgiveness here the last couple of weeks. Now we're going to move into the topic of marriage. I didn't hear anybody go, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really interesting topic. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to pray and then we're going to get started. Okay, please join me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time spent together today in fellowship, Lord. May the seed of your word be planted deep in our hearts, Lord, that we may all have revelation about what marriage is and what you've called it to be, not what the world calls it to be. We thank you. We thank you for your son who you sent to die on the cross for us, Lord so that we could learn what real marriage is. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to talk about marriage. First of all, let's start with the statistics, and unfortunately they're pretty uh, sad statistics. So I want to give you that 75% of all family units are going to need some kind of marriage counseling at, the po at some point during their marriage. One out of two marriages will end in divorce. In 50%, 50 percent of marriages, a mate will be unfaithful within the first five years. It's pretty sad. 50%. 50% um, are unfaithful within the first five years. Even in the Christian realm, they say that as high as 30% of ministers will be involved in an inappropriate relationship with someone in their church. That's a big deal. It appears to me that we obviously haven't understood the principles of the Bible if those statistics are anywhere close. We're going to look at the subject of marriage and see some of the things God says about it and how you might be able to strengthen your marriage relationship. Uh, this, this particular lesson really spoke to me, and it originated back when Brian and Nicole did a series on marriage and relationships. If you go back into the archive and you look at Marriage and Relationships 101, I think there may be five or six uh, different sessions for that particular teaching. Uh, and one of the initial teachings for that lesson is, is actually this lesson as well. So um, I'm really glad to be teaching it today. So marriage is God's idea. He designed it. Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And also in Genesis 1.31, it says, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. You have to remember that this was a perfect creation. God came and fellowshiped with man. He had a wonderful, wonderful relationship with him, and each day he would come in the cool of the evening and fellowship with Adam. And sometimes we think if we had a perfect relationship with God, we wouldn't really need anything else, right? I think we walk around and we think a lot of the time, a fellowship with God, if I had a fellowship with God, my whole life would be perfect. But interestingly, that's not necessarily true. God said in Genesis 1.31, concerning the creation he made, and behold, it was very good. The first thing that God said that was not good is found in Genesis 2.18. It is not good that man should be alone. So marriage was God's idea to meet the need that man had, to give him a helpmeet to deal with the problem of loneliness he might experience in his life. 
marriage, if we follow the instruction manual and put into it what God wants, was meant to bring happiness and not misery. Right? Happiness. Let me say that one more time. Okay, let's say that again. Marriage, if we follow the instruction manual and put into it what God wants, not what we want, not what the Kardashians tell us to do, right? Not what secular music tells us to do, right? Not what the world tells us to do. But if we do what God wants, it was meant to bring happiness and not misery. So in Genesis 2.24 is the first time the Bible really talks a lot about marriage. It says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Marriage is leaving all other relationships to refocus your life on another individual. And God designed it that way. So let me say that one one more time. Okay? Marriage is leaving all other, not some, not two, not five, all. All other relationships to refocus your life on another individual. And God designed it that way. It's like a tri-unity relationship. And for me, this was really the revelation. How many of us, and you don't have to raise your hands, Lachello, don't raise your hand. Uh, it's probably not true. How many of us invited God to our marriage, but we didn't invite him into our, we invited him to when we got married, but we didn't invite him into our marriage. We didn't invite him into our home. Right? We thought it was great that he would come and be there, right, when we spoke vows to each other, when we promised to keep each other, but then we didn't invite him into our home. It's kind of a big deal, right? So in the marriage relationship, when God called Adam and Eve together, it wasn't just Adam relating to God or Eve relating to God. It was now Adam and Eve as a unit in oneness of purpose relating to God. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 7, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. That's kind of a big thing there too, Amen. right? You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Let's jump to the bottom. So that your prayers will not be hindered. Right? You have to walk in unity with your spouse because now all of a sudden you're one unit. And if you're not one unit, your prayers can and will be hindered. Genesis 5, 1 and 2, a really great passage of scripture says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam. In the day when they were created. Notice that Adam named his wife Eve, but God called Adam and Eve together as a unit. Adam. So in the marriage relationship, it's no longer God and me or God and my spouse. It's a husband and wife in oneness. Heirs, according to the grace of life, who have been called to serve God in purpose, to walk in oneness and unity. And I had someone once give me a really interesting analogy about marriage. We're going to talk about it here in just a second. 
But I had someone describe marriage as uh, creating mashed potatoes. <laughs> right? You peel mashed potatoes, you cube mashed potatoes, you boil potatoes. And then what do you do? You mash them together. Can you ever unmash potatoes? You can't, right? So once you're cleaved together, once you're joined together under God, it's much like you're now mashed potatoes. You try to pick the different potatoes apart, you can't do it. You're together as one. In Genesis 2.24, which we just read, says a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh. The word cleave means stick or adhere to, to become one to be one in purpose. If you're having a problem in your marriage relationship today, let me ask you a few questions. Okay, I'm going to ask these really slowly, and you guys can think about them. Because <laughs> I ask myself these questions really slowly. <laughs> Are there things you're doing the way you're acting toward your spouse? The things you're saying to them? Are they causing you to come closer together? Wow. Or are they pushing you apart? Wow. Really think about that. The things you're doing, the ways you're acting, the things you're saying. Amen. Are they bringing you together or are they pulling you apart? Are they causing a breach or a separation? The commandment of scripture for marriage is to cleave to stick to. So are the things you're doing building your relationship up or are they tearing it down? And you need to look at some of these things. I think we all do, right? When we're tired and worn down, right, and our spouse starts to grate on our nerves, mm, you might want to pause. You might want to pause your tongue. You might want to pause your actions, right? You might want to think twice about it. People think love is just an emotional feeling. And I know Brian has done some preaching on love and that there are different kinds of love, right? There's phileo love, there's eros love, there's agape love. And people, a lot of people, I think, walking around today think that love is an emotional feeling, right? It comes and goes, it ebbs and flows. I'm in hot, passionate love, and then I'm not, right? I used to love you, but I fell out of love with you, and I don't love you anymore. Suppose you came from a dysfunctional family. How many of you came from a dysfunctional, <laughs> on some level, family, right? You go before a minister or judge to be married. <laughs> yeah, be careful, Rebecca. Yeah, your mom's sitting right next to you. You commit to give your life to that individual, and you really want to work on till death do you part. Right? You really are passionately committed. Right? You're in that eros, that passion, that I really want to love and breathe and live this other person. But because of your dysfunctional family, you've never seen love. You've never seen it really expressed in your family. And you've never seen your parents share any warm expression of love. Your spouse may have come from a family that expressed a lot of affection, but you don't know how to. Even though you want to love this person, you're committing yourself to because you're so dysfunctional yourself, having never seen love expressed before, you'll probably fail. Right? You're probably going to fail. Chances are that within a few years, you will go to the counselor and say, we're just not getting along. I don't love them anymore. Well, I've got news for you. If you're having problems in your marriage, there's something you can do to correct it. 
When you buy something new, a big piece of appliance, like a big appliance for your kitchen or, you know, a big uh, piece of technology, right? What do you get that comes along with it? You get a user's manual, right? It helps you figure out how to correct it or how to fix problems. The manual will tell you what's wrong or if you can take it to a serviceman. There's a manual to work on your marriage as well, right? And this is, this is the easy answer, right? What's the easy answer? It's the Bible. It's called God's Word. And the Bible tells us in Titus 2.4, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. What's interesting about Titus, I would encourage you all to be good Bereans and go and read Titus 2 and 3. It's amazing books of the Bible. But it talks about, specifically here in Titus 4, that love is something that can be taught. Taught. Love can be taught. Something that can be learned. And in the context of Titus, as I was reading, I tend to be a person that likes to read the context. It can be not learned. It can be not learned, too. That is yeah. correct. Right. That's where we're a lot of mm-hmm. Is that, I think it, it goes back to what I said before. We have a problem in our marriage, or we have a great, or we're aggravated with our spouse, right? Something's frustrating us. Pause for a minute. Think about the last time that happened to you. What did you do with that? Where'd you go with that? Did you go listen to Carrie Underwood talk about keying a car? (laughs) Did you go watch an episode of the Kardashians to see how well they all get along? Or some other sitcom? Fill in your secular whatever. Doesn't matter. Right? Is that really telling you or instructing you what you should do in that situation? Where might, where might you consider going instead? And where else? So there, of course there's the Bible, right? We talk about that God's word is the instruction manual. It's a great instruction manual. But let's go back to what Titus says in 2.4. Love can be taught, right? And the implication in that scripture is that older women can teach younger women. That's the context of this scripture. So yes, God's word is perfect and wonderful and will it give you guidance and direction absolutely but what else should you consider doing in these situations right we've been talking about it in services right along here for probably the last four to six weeks you go and you find your pastor right you submit to your pastor right you take it to your pastor and say where am I missing it what can I do differently where am I where can where can I fix me you humble yourself Right? We've been learning about that on Wednesday nights. We humble ourselves. And if you humble yourself before your pastor, before your Lord, what comes next? What, what does God pour out if you humble yourself? A greater grace. A greater grace. Does your marriage need a greater grace? Try every minute of every day. Right? It does. Every minute of every day. So our job is not to run hot, run prideful, Right? Run to our friends and complain and gripe and moan. Right? Listen to music and get whipped up into all kinds of craziness. <laughs> our job is to humble ourselves. Yeah. Where did I miss it, Lord? Yeah. What did I say wrong? What did I do wrong? And if I can't see it, then I should humble myself and go to my pastor and say, here's the situation. Help me see where I missed it. Yeah, where can I do better? What can I pray? Because maybe I'm not even sure what words to pray. 
right? So <clears throat> if you came from a dysfunctional family and don't really know how to love your spouse, your marriage is falling apart, there's good news. In 1 John 5, 3, it says, it's all right. Barrett was so into the message she forgot to put up the scripture. It's all right, Barrett. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Through the commandments of Jesus Christ, who show us how to love, how to express kindness and generosity, and how to seek the welfare of the other person in your marriage relationship, God can turn that situation around for you. So I read that, and it says, Keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. So I wanted to be reminded, what are those commandments? Right? He calls us to a certain set of commandments in his Bible. So as it relates to my marriage, if I, if I want to seek to improve my marriage, I better understand what those commandments are, right? So what's the biggest commandment that Jesus makes? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the great commandment. And the second is much like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So that's wonderful, but there are a whole bunch more commandments that he gives us, right? We learn about them here in our sermons. We learn them on Wednesday nights when we grow in our maturity meeting. And I'm going to list off just a few of, few of them for you. And they're important in all of our lives in every way. But today, I really, as I read each of these commandments, sort of thematic commandments, I want you to pause and think about how they might apply to your relationships or to your marriage. Okay? The first one is repent. Repent. Say, I'm sorry. That's a big one. Follow me. Rejoice. Let your light shine. Honor God's law. Be reconciled. Ooh, that's a good one, right? How many of us have let the sun go down on our frustrations or on our anger? Be reconciled. Do not lust. Keep your word. Go the extra mile. Love your enemies. Be perfect in love. Practice secret disciplines. Lay up treasures in heaven. Not on earth. In heaven. Seek God's kingdom in all things. Right? Do we wisely ever stop, pause long enough to say, Lord, what would you have me do in this situation? I know what I want to say. I know what he needs to hear. Let me tell you what you need to hear. Right? But do we ever take the time to pause long enough to say, I want to say this right now. I want to do this right now. And the Lord says, not right now. Not that way, right? It may be something that person does need to hear, but you need to speak the truth in love. Do not cast pearls. Ask, seek, and knock. Do unto others. We've talked about that one. Choose the narrow path. Beware of false prophets. Pray for laborers. Be wise, 
fear not, hear God's voice, take his yoke, honor your parents, deny yourself. <laughs> Go to offenders, beware of covetousness, forgive offenders, honor marriage, be a servant, be a house of prayer, ask in faith, bring in the poor, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, love the Lord, love your neighbor, await his return, be born again, watch and pray, receive God's power, and make disciples. So as you meditate on those, on each of those, you can meditate on those in any one of a number of different domains, right? Your work life, your personal life, your friendship life, but I challenge you to think about those as they relate to relationships and your marriage. I think the biggest learning that I've had related to this um, particular teaching is it's a tri-unity relationship, right? God came to our marriage, and I have to continue to understand that he's a part of a trinity with me and my husband. And that if my husband, right, not that I don't aggravate the snot out of my own husband, right, I'm sure he would probably get up here and tell you that I do that or have done that in 15 years. It's happened both ways, right? But the thing that's great is I've got a Lord above me that no matter what, he's not going to break his commitment to me in this marriage. So I can lean on him. Right? That's good stuff. George is back there giving me a fist bump. Right? So when times are hard or when you're frustrated or when you're not sure what to do, the best place to go is to lean on that third person in that relationship. Right? Take it to the Lord. Take it to your pastors. They're going to point you back there anyway. Right? So let's take a minute to do some question and answers because there's some really good question and answer here. <laughs> George says, yay. All right, we'll answer them as a group. All right, so we're going to read <laughs> We're going to read Ephesians 5:31 and 32. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So the question is, by looking at Ephesians 5.32, what do you think God is really talking about in this passage? What is marriage a reflection of? Christ's love for the church. Yep, the relationship between Christ and his church. We are Christ's bride, right, in that relationship. Okay, we're going to read James 4, verses 4 and 5. You adulteresses. Do you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? 
He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. So what are these verses teaching us? How does God feel towards us? It's in the last verse there. He's jealous. He's jealous for us. He wants our time. He wants our love. He wants our attention. Right? Does our spouse want the same thing? Right? Do we give it abundantly? All the time? All the time? All the time. George says all the time. Good, George. You're, you're running a good record. All right, so let's read 1 Peter 3, 7. Right, we talked about this one. Barrett's working on it. There it is. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So why should you walk in unity and love towards your wife or husband? So our prayers are not hindered. That's right. So we should reconcile, right? When stand praying and asking, forgive, right? We should be in unity with our spouses so that our prayers are not hindered. Read John 15:5. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Can your marriage succeed without Christ as Lord of your life? Easy answer, no. It's a tri-unity relationship for a reason. He's involved for a reason. And if we don't invite him into our homes after we say our vows, do we expect that our marriage is going to work or last? Should we expect that our marriage will work or last? No. We'll read Titus 2.4 again. So let's remember that love is not just an emotion, and according to Scripture, love can be taught, right? That we may teach the young women to be sober and to love their husbands, to love their children. It can be taught. The key, though, is that if you're the one who's needing the teaching, you really should submit yourself humbly. Right. Seek the Lord for who that person should be as a mentor. Yeah. Ask your pastor, is there a mentor that I could speak to or learn from? And if it's your pastor, all the better, right? right. My mentor is Nicole, yeah. right? I look to her. I look to her relationship with Brian as an evidence of a good marriage. Yeah. So then when I have trouble, that's where I go. I seek my pastor. And she is my example. Yeah. Read 1 John 5, 3. Yes, Brian. That just no, so great point. So Brian just brought up a great point. So that teaching or that example should not just happen with women. Right, so I think it says in Titus, it's speaking specifically to older women, teaching younger women how to love their husbands and love their families. But the same goes for men. Right, do husbands know exactly what they need to do all the time? No. Right, should husbands go and listen to music or watch secular TV or movies to try and learn what an example of a good husband is? No. Right, their job as well is to humble themselves, seek the leading of their pastor, right? Seek that guidance, seek that mentorship, spend time with other godly men. Because when you seek seek that time or when you spend that time with other godly men it's iron sharpening iron just like it is with women 
right? So the key is we have to purpose ourselves, right? It's not just going to happen by osmosis, right? I think sometimes we think, well, I, I can figure this out, right? I know what to do. I know how to be nice. I can be nice. <laughs> That's right. I'm nice, fill in the cuss word. <laughs> but the thing is, unless we purpose ourselves to spend time with other godly women, we make it a priority. And men to spend time, to purpose themselves, to make time to do that, um, we won't grow in what it means to really be a good husband or wife. Read 1 John 5.3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. When we walk in God's commands, we walk in love. Right? The key is to walk in love. The great command right, is to love God. And then to love each other like we love ourselves. Matthew 7.12 In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. If we are having problems in our marriage, is it because someone, it is usually because someone is not walking in love. Right? So let's, lastly, let's read 1 Corinthians 13, 4. So we've talked about love. Now let's talk about what love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. And it's not jealous. Love does not brag and it is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. That's a good one. Can we just sit there for a minute? is not provoked, <laughs> does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. This is all good stuff. right? But this is all also what it means to be a disciple, to be a good Christian. So if we are on the path of becoming a good, strong, grown-up, mature Christian it then should follow that we'll also be a good spouse to our partner. Correct? Yeah, yeah. And where we should begin to practice all of these is in our own home. Right? Because yeah. out of that will flow um, so much more love yeah. right, to other people and to other relationships. Do you have any other thoughts? <laughs> Please join me. Um, I had one, and I forgot what it was. Okay. <laughs> but it'll come back to me. So the, um, yeah, it, a lot of times we want everything in Christianity, and we're talking about this more in this series called Proof, it comes back to us. And ultimately, what, one of the things we're going to talk about next week is that if you want to change, you know, you want your life to change, it doesn't, most of the time that people are looking to change somebody, like, well, if they would s stop doing this and start doing this, I would, I would have a better life. And that may be true, but how are you going to get that change to actually happen? How are you going to influence? You can't change them. So by changing yourself, you're actually paving the way for the change that you want to happen. 
And that's what most people don't get. They just want to look at somebody else and blame them and say, they're the reason why my life sucks. You know, they're the reason for that. And uh, it's not, that's not the way it is. That's not the way it is at all. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the way that we look at uh, different things. And one of the things, when you said that earlier, uh, about cleaving to your, you know, to your spouse and, and I was just thinking, you know, the godly action here in a marriage is, the godly action is to cleave or to join together. And in a relationship, and you can apply this in a marriage, you can apply this in your, your family, uh, and um, you can apply this in friendships or anything, but the godly action uh, to another godly believer is to join yourself, even in a body of Christ, to join. But let's just look at the marriage portion of it. So the godly action is to join. Are your actions causing joining, or are they causing separation? You know, your thoughts what you're doing, you know, everything that you're doing. So in other words, if I'm causing anything that causes separation, I'm not being godly. Yeah. And then I'm expecting God to fix it. You know, and, and we, need, we need to be just godly. And or I've had um, a number of people, you know, make comments to me, well, I'm godly and I feel like I'm doing the right thing, but it's this other person, right, right who is not godly, is not walking in love, so can't I just end this relationship? Can't it just be over? No. You know, I think yeah. the key what God has called us to do is we are to be the example in our marriage. So maybe we did, maybe we didn't seek the Lord prior to getting married. Right? But here we are married. Right. My job in this relationship now is to lean on the third person. Right. Be the light in my own marriage. So that God can draw this person in through my actions and me being the light. So I need to continue to walk in love. To not be provoked. To not get angry. To demonstrate what God's love is. Because that's the way the Lord draws that Holy Spirit in the other person to right. say, what am I missing? How is it they're acting like this all the time? I want some of that. That can happen in your marital relationship if you give the Lord the opportunity, right, and you take a hold of owning that, you can draw that spouse into a better relationship with God. Yeah. Well, and if you really understand the spiritual truth that you're one, when you allow God to change you, you're allowing him to change the mashed potatoes. You yep, know, you're that's allowing right. him to change the whole. Uh, in other words, if, if God was a die, you know, like a color dye, and it was purple, and you opened yourself up, you know, to that purple, as life goes on, what you're doing is you're allowing God to touch you and your spouse, you see, and that's, that's what a lot of people don't get, they're like, just touch them, no, you need it to touch you, you need to open yourself up for you, you're, you're the issue that you can deal with, that you're the issue that you can deal with. So I, I could, of Go course, on. talk for a long, long time, but that was good. And I would I'm, encourage I'm everyone to, to um, go back to the archive. And if you're so led, go and watch those Marriage and Relationship 101 uh, classes again with Brian and Nicole. They were really enlightening. It was great, great teaching. So I would encourage everyone to do that. So thank you all for your time today. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time spent together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessing that you call marriage. 
May we all be drawn closer to your definition of what marriage is, Lord. Help us to see and to identify areas where we, ourselves, inside of us, can start to make changes, to grow in our, not only in our relationship with you, but how to better reflect you in our marital relationships. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.